Hello everyone and welcome back to Backyard Geology, Canada edition. I am your host Serena, back for another bonus episode. If you haven't already, check out episode 2 of this season of Backyard Geology where I visit Hamilton, Ontario to check out the sedimentary rocks of the Niagara Escarpment. The Niagara Escarpment and the city of Hamilton are close to my heart as that is what I studied throughout my undergraduate degree. A group at McMaster University in Hamilton studies the escarpment in depth to understand its implications as a local geohazard. The escarpment is essentially a cliff that passes straight through the city. Although it makes for scenic views, its erosion threatens urban infrastructure. Today, I am joined by my previous lab mate, Henry Gage, to discuss some of the current research happening in Hamilton. Hi, Henry. Hi, Serena. Thank you so much for inviting me on today to participate. I'm excited to have the chance to, uh, to talk a bit about our research and the escarpment. Yeah, I think the entire time we've worked together at McMaster, things have been shut down due to COVID. So although I've seen you around school, our main interactions have been entirely over email and Zoom. Yeah, it's certainly been weird with so little in-person interaction over the past year or two, um, but I'm glad we have been able to work together in a virtual capacity during the pandemic, which has been nice. For our listeners outside of Ontario, Ontario has pretty much been mostly shut down since the start of this whole thing. So we have not been in the university working for quite a while. Fortunately, though, Henry and I have been working out in the field, which is COVID safe. And we've been fortunate enough to share a mighty field assistant, Joe Hansen, who deserves a big shout out on this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, I will extend a big thank you to Joe for his help throughout the year um, visiting the field sites and collecting data with us. He's been an absolute pleasure to work with, so we've been lucky to have him around. Absolutely. We've had some, some good times. Both Henry and I have done our field work in an urban field setting throughout Hamilton. Um, so with that, let's get on to the science, and please introduce yourself to listeners, Henry. Hi, everyone. My name is Henry Gage, and I'm a third-year integrated science student at McMaster University. And at Mac, I'm a member of the Glacial Sedimentology Lab where I work with Dr. Carolyn Isles researching the Hamilton Escarpment. I'm particularly interested in earth environmental science, so geology has been kind of a perfect area of focus throughout the start of my university career, and I'm hoping to pursue this in future years with uh, you know, a little bit of mix of geology and, and environmental science. The Glacial Sedimentology Lab does a lot of work on the escarpment because the majority of the erosion that formed the escarpment was due to overlying ice sheets that once covered the area. So as I mentioned, we both studied the escarpment and I have mostly finished the project I was working on, but Henry's is still very much ongoing. My project looked at fracturing, which is geologic cracking in the escarpment rocks. I did a lot of field work, some statistics and geologic modeling to quantify fractures in the escarpment and define fracture sets or trends in the and fracture patterns. And all in all, the rocks in the escarpment are highly fractured, and these fractures present a first-order control on hazardous rockfalls. Henry is going the extra step and looking at these fractures more in depth. Tell listeners about your research, Henry. Yeah, so as you alluded to at kind of the start of the podcast, 
we are looking at an escarpment in an urban area. And the big issue with that is um, because the escarpment is so heavily weathered and you know there's rock falls present throughout the year, it's important to learn more about the, the factors that control this weathering process so that we can kind of determine, okay, what, where, where are areas that are at risk for rock fall? Where's infrastructure at risk so that we can identify this and work with the city to, to kind of make safe decisions in, in the Hamilton area? So where my research comes in is I look mostly at the effect of temperature on, uh, on the weathering of the escarpment. So starting kind of in the winter, the big controls on weathering on the escarpment are the fractures themselves, pre-existing fractures, because when you have precipitation and rainfall or, or snow that, that you know, get, gets the water into these fractures, essentially they can be hydraulically forced apart. So when water freezes, it expands. And it forces those fractures and causes breakage of the rock and eventually rockfall. My job is to look into the mechanisms behind this process and ask the question, what's most likely to be happening um, on the escarpment? Is it this kind of hydraulic fracturing process where water's seeping into the cracks and expanding? Or the second option, which we know as thermal shock or thermal fatigue. And this is essentially when you have shifts in temperatures that are drastic throughout the year. And this places a lot of strain on the rocks. Uh, and because these rocks are already fractured, they're not as strong as you might expect them to be. So if you have a swing from, you know, negative 10 degrees, and then by noon, it's, it's 10 degrees out, this can cause a lot of stress and also cause the rock to, to, you know, to crumble, come off the escarpment. So really what I do is I'm examining the temperatures, both at the surface and in the fracture of the rock, to determine which of these processes is likely and the factors that are affecting them. Um, and all in all, this is kind of to do a little bit of an exploration into how the escarpment is weathering, compare this through different times of the year. Awesome. That's such interesting research. And just for, for our listeners outside of Ontario, can you comment on some of the temperature changes that we see sort of on a daily basis here and also throughout the year? In the winter, most of the temperature changes fluctuate around the zero degree mark between night and day. So what we found is you can have temperature swings, you know, between somewhere like negative 10 and as high as, you know, in the double digit positive range in the day experienced actually at the rock face because it's getting heated by the sun. So we have to remember that you have the air temperature, which might be cold on a given day, but for a rock that's sitting on this escarpment face with, without any shade, it's being, being beaten by the sun. It can actually be quite warm on a cold winter day. So there's drastic shifts, but it's not only the fact that we're having these oscillations night and day, night and day. We also have very brief periods of warming where you can get multiple degrees change in a single minute. So for example, one of our sites, we saw over the course of 30 minutes shifts uh, between you know, zero and 10 degrees, which is a, a huge amount you can imagine for a single location to experience over a course of 30 minutes. That's in the winter. In the summer, the temperature changes are a little more rapid and a little more drastic, obviously not getting as colder, but because we have such strong radiation coming in from the sun in the summer, you can get much quicker heating of the rock. So um, you're looking at anywhere from, you know, in the 20s, the rock could be then experiencing something in the 40 degree range Celsius just because of how strongly it's being heated. So there's big, big temperature changes in the rock. It's interesting the comments you made about the, the sun and how much that can have an effect on the rock. Um, in addition to that, like, I'm just thinking, you know, sometimes, especially in the fall and the spring, it can be really quite cold at night here, like cold enough to turn the heat on in your house, but yet 
in the afternoon, it's, it's cool enough to just wear jeans and a t-shirt. So we do have quite drastic temperature changes here in, in Southern Ontario. And then you throw the sun into the mix and you're, you're actually looking at some pretty significant temperature changes. That's what we wanna know. And we wanna know if those temperature changes affect the rocks. Moving on to the research, you talked about this hydraulic cracking. Can you give us a definition of that and what it is in the field of geology? Sure. So it, it kind of goes by a bunch of different names. The most prevalent kind of description is frost weathering or frost cracking. And to simplify the process, essentially, you have water that's coming uh, at the surface of the rock that's flowing either from precipitation or from some source of water, seepage from groundwater, and it's flowing through pores in the rock. And what happens is the rock eventually becomes saturated or, or saturated to a certain degree. And when it freezes, water uh, will then expand in, into ice. And the, the increased volume that this takes within the rock, the, the space that it takes up, will force the rock apart. Um, it's only so strong to resist these volume changes, and that's what causes fracturing. And you can also have this, you, know, you can have it in the pores of the rock, which I described, or you could have it in the fracture. Um, so the entire fracture could be yeah, exactly, exactly filling with water and expanding. What exactly do you like to call this process in your research? We use the term freeze-thaw weathering. Um, I think that's pretty a pretty good way to describe it because again, the water's freezing and thawing, expanding and contracting. So I think that reflects kind of that that process that forces apart the rocks. Okay, got it. Freeze-thaw weathering. We know that geologists are pretty picky about their terminology, so it's important to get yeah. these things right. So you mentioned that you actually are recording the temperature of the rock, and I assume you're not standing there all the time with some kind of thermometer day and night. How are you doing that? What specialized equipment are you using in your research and how does it work? Yeah, so what we do to measure temperatures, we have these remote data loggers and they're connected to two temperature probes. The technical term is a thermistor, but essentially it's, it's just a wire with a metal tip that um, is very sensitive to changes in temperature. And it's a really rugged device. It's waterproof. It's pretty hardy if people are, you know, if it gets knocked by rocks or someone someone messes around with it. So it's, it's great to leave out for a long period of time. And so it remotely will measure the temperature both at the surface of the rock where we affix one of the probes and then in the fracture where we fix the other every single minute. And we really want this granular data resolution because we want to be able to see in real time how quickly the temperature in the rock is changing. And so anything, uh, any time you know, between temperature measurements larger than that would, would be hard for us to really examine what's going on. And so these, these probes sit, you know, through the winter, summer, all seasons out on the escarpment face, and they're camouflaged so that, you know, any passersby can't, can't really see them, can't, you know, investigate the probes easily, because I know that's a definitely an issue in a lot of research when you have remote logging as people will become interested in your devices. Um, so that's how it works. It's just a waterproof, essentially box that picks up these temperature measurements every minute. And you haven't had any any stolen by hikers or passersby? We, we've been very fortunate, I think, partly due to our camouflaging strategy, but also due to the location of the probes. We've only had one probe that the, the, the actual tips of the, the temperature sensors were pulled out of place. And so we replaced them. But other than that, it's been very smooth sailing for us. So I don't want to jinx it, but... That's good to hear. These are some of the issues that you encounter when you're working in an urban field setting. Like a lot of a lot of the exposures that Henry and I have both worked on are, you know, along a hiking trail or a road cut. So actually places that the general public is definitely well 
I was out with Joe last summer, we constantly got people asking us what we were doing, standing on the rock face, measuring strike and dip all day. So, well, I'm glad to hear that nothing has been taken yet. When you want the data, do you go get these boxes or is it remotely communicate remotely with computer or something? So it works by Bluetooth. So, you know, it's nice and easy, but unfortunately you do have to be there. So we'll walk to the probes about once a month is how, how much data storage they have. And you it connects directly to your phone, no plugins required. You don't have to move the device, kind of stand within a 10 meter radius and you will just collect it on your phone. Um, and then that can be transferred back to, you know, computer, whatever you're using to process the data. So it's really easy uh, for, for us researchers. All we have to do is go walking along a, a hiking trail every month and collect our data, which is a lot better than the alternative, especially if you're having to remove the actual device to download the data and put it back out. Um, that can be a really big hassle. It's a great control knowing that you don't actually have to move the position of the temperature probe at all. That's the big thing, right? Like, because we're measuring all these, you know, the temperature, but also examining the factors that might be affecting the temperature, the, the positioning of the probe is really imperative. And the fact that it, it's not moved is, is very important because if you move it at all, then all of a sudden you could be getting different temperature readings, um, a different angle will make a huge difference. So it's really important that we keep it exactly in the same place. That's awesome. Gotta love technology. I remember, I think my favorite piece I've come across in geology is a GPS that connects to an app on my phone. So I just kept the GPS in my pocket, use my phone for everything. And of course your phone has all the buttons, big screen, zoom in and out, as opposed to the GPS, which has two buttons and a, a screen that's an inch across. So yeah, well, so much easier. With the Gotta love technology. So Henry, where are the probes located and how did you choose the locations? We've got a total of 10 probes at the moment and we're, we're kind of in the process of deploying, deploying some more. We've got six that are out in the field. And so our goal is to choose locations that are different in some of the major characteristics so that we can compare the temperatures and then ask the question, why do those temperatures vary between sites? We've got probes uh, along, mostly on hiking trails um, in kind of off the trail areas where it's, it's not easy to access. So two of them are near a small waterfall. Um, another two are kind of up at the, at the peak of a, a valley where, where people hike through. And then the third is along an exposed rock face on a, a cut of road that, that kind of works its way up the escarpment. What we're looking for when we're choosing these sites is a few things. One is aspect. So where does the es escarpment face relative to the direction of the rock? So where are these fractures facing, but then where does the actual whole escarpment face? This is important because it affects the amount of sun that's received and the strength of the radiation that's received at the sites throughout the day. So all these sites have a different uh, aspect. And the escarpment is kind of a, a U-shape around Hamilton. So this means there's a range of aspects we can examine, which is really useful because we know this to be an important factor. Another factor we, we examine is vegetation. So some sites are shaded, some sites are not shaded, and some sites have vegetation that's actually growing on the escarpment itself. And this really varies the amount, again, of, of sunlight that can reach the face, but also vegetation can play a role. Um, vegetation, we know, can get in, into fractures. They can get in between rock and grow and force them apart. And while I'm not an exam, examining that specifically, I know there are other researchers out there that are doing the same thing. And the last thing I'll mention that's important to us is rock type. The escarpment is essentially a series of layered sedimentary rocks, and they've been all deposited on top of one another but they're not all the same because they're deposited at different time periods and composed of different minerals and aggregate material. 
And so this means that they all respond very differently to changes in temperature and changes in sunlight. And so we've chosen sites that all have different rock type because this is uh, probably one of the most important factors that determines whether the escarpment will fracture, whether it will cause rockfall, and how it deals with those crazy temperature changes that I just spoke about earlier that we see in the winter and the summer. There's so much to think about while you're putting these probes onto the rock face. And, and what about the other four probes? Yeah, so we've got four that are in uh, what we call controlled outdoor conditions. We've taken big chunks of rock blocks from the escarpment, and we've put them outside in an area where we can kind of observe them. We know that they're going to be exposed to the elements, exposed to changes in sunlight, but they're not actually in situ. They're not actually in the escarpment face. And this really allows us to isolate the, the, the rock type itself rather than all the other factors like aspect, like vegetation, you know, water seepage. We can just isolate that piece of rock and say, how does rock type affect what we're looking at? And so these blocks have been drilled to about eight centimeter depth. And we put a probe inside the rock and then on the rock surface. So we can say, okay, how does temperature vary between you know, the middle, the interior of the rock and the surface? And this is kind of a control for us. It's a basis for comparison. So we can say this type of rock really felt the effects of the, the changes in sun and temperature much more than you know, the other type of rocks. And so when we, we go to apply this to the probes that are actually on the escarpment, this helps us interpret what we're seeing a little bit more. Okay, you seem to have this set up well, sort of for the, for the long term. What is, your, what is your rough timeline for this experiment? And when did you get all these set up? The probes are first uh, all set out in early December of 2020. And we've had them out all since and been collecting data. Our, you know, for the, for the time being, we're kind of going to leave them there because there's no reason not to collect data, especially because it's so low maintenance. The, the probes last for about two, two years. So at the moment, we're kind of finishing our, our first year of data collection coming into the fall. And so we'll definitely have them out for that period. And then I imagine we'll, we'll just keep them, keep them there for another year just so that we can have a, an even larger so, you know, sample size of data to work with. But this, the, the data set that the moment we're really interested in is the winter, because that's when most of that frost weathering process is going to happen, uh, that, that freeze thaw. And so that's kind of the data set we're working with in terms of, you know, publishing our research and actually examining what's going on in the winter. I, I can understand why, why would you take probes out <laughs> as long as you're there and you're able to, to go pick up the data? Like you say, it's so low maintenance. So do you look back on any sort of weather records when you're looking at the data? I mean, obviously telling day and night would probably be pretty obvious, but if you have sort of, you know, some anomaly in your data, can, do you have a weather rec record that you go back into? We do compare everything to data from the, the weather station uh, at McMaster, and that allows us to both examine air, air temperature, but also, yeah, look for inconsistencies. Where did, did the sensor have some crazy reading that we wouldn't have otherwise recognized? It's, it's useful to be able to compare. Right. So that's great. Got some teamwork within the university to take data from the weather station. I love yeah. it. So we've covered your research. Are there other researchers out there looking at freeze-thaw weathering and how applicable is this research to your study sites across Hamilton? In terms of people looking at freeze-thaw, absolutely. It's a big, big area of study. There's a lot of people that examine this in rock faces like what I'm doing, but also in materials engineering with, you know, whether it's concrete, ceramics, building materials. So it's a broad area of research. When we kind of zone in on the geology side of things, 
most of the research is conducted in extreme, you know, alpine regions or Arctic areas, because this is where you're going to find the coldest temperatures, the biggest changes between night and day, and again, the most potential for weathering due to these really cold uh, temperatures. The way this fits in for my research is it's kind of a, a framework for understanding the processes at play. A whole bunch of authors have published different theories and explanations for how these processes work, and they're fairly com complex. And so this allows us to say, okay, we've got, you know, 10 different possibilities. Uh, let's now examine our local area. Let's examine the Hamilton Escarpment and then connect our data to what's out there. And while we might not have as extreme temperature changes as, as in the Arctic, we can then at least make a comparison. And that helps us elucidate a little bit what's going on in, in our kind of backyard and, and how this relates to what's going on in other areas of the world. There is research out there, just not specifically in this area. So what are your next steps with your research? So at the moment, next steps, we're kind of drawing everything together to publish some, some information about what's, what's gone on in the winter, but also the summer. Summer is important, and we haven't had a full summer of data recording yet, so that's definitely in the cards. And the newest component of, of this project is examining these changes into the future, because a big big part of why we're doing this is risk management and understanding the hazards in the urban area. What I'm kind of doing in parallel to this is some climate modeling and modeling the processes in the rock and the stresses on the rock through time. We've gathered a big data set of temperatures from regional climate models um, with the goal of identifying how will the stresses on these rocks, you know, will they, will they increase or decrease with climate change? And also, will the resistance or, or the resilience of these rocks to these changes be affected by climate change? And that's an interesting piece because we can start by saying what's happening now, how does this affect us now? And then by adding the climate change aspect, you can look into the future and kind of say, okay, what, what do we need to do to manage this in real time to become more resilient to rockfall, to become more aware and mitigate the potential for, for infrastructure loss and um, you know, damage in the future. So the goal of this research is to be able to approach city officials let them know what's going on in the rock face and how we can potentially avoid geohazards in the Hamilton area. Yeah, and I think what we'd really envision is, you know, having this on the academic research side of things. So having some papers published about this um, because little research has been conducted in kind of a more temperate environment like we have in Hamilton, but then also in a more simplified format, being able to provide this to members of the public to say, yeah, this is a, this is a big risk. And also this is changing over time. And we know that, you know, from just we've, we've looked at already, we know that this is going to become a much bigger and more important hazard in the next, you know, 50 years, next century. You have that academic side, but you also just have a science communication perspective where you, you want this to be known to the general public, to city officials, as you mentioned, to implement into our decision-making at present. We want to know what's going on in the rocks so that we know why they're falling off the cliff and how we can stop that. Exactly. Yeah, there have been, in, in the Hamilton area, as I've said, it the escarpment runs straight through the city. And I mean, even in the four years I lived in Hamilton, I've walked on trails where there's been rock falls, there's been roads closed because there's been rock falls, you know, last minute construction, trying to stabilize the slope. Like it definitely is a huge issue in the city because that's what happens when you build around a cliff, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> does make the city absolutely stunning though. So 
that's one perk. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think that listeners will be excited to hear what's going on in Hamilton and, and where this research goes. So keep it up and let us know what's happening in the rocks. Yeah, I really appreciate the chance to come and chat. And it was it was great to sit down and explain my research and talk a little bit about what's going on. So hopefully the listeners enjoy this and uh, I really yeah appreciate the opportunity, Serena. Thank you for joining us. Keep up the great work. Bye, Henry. Bye. Henry Gage is a third-year science student at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. I look forward to reading his future work on freeze-thaw weathering in the Niagara Escarpment and its effects on local geohazards. I'm glad to know that people like Henry are keeping an eye on the rocks. Backyard Geology Canada edition is part of the Geology Podcast Network and is sponsored by Travelling Geologist. Stay tuned for more episodes and bonus interviews of Backyard Geology Canada edition. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Traveling Geologist and never miss a new release.